Hey, this is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporilli, on LiveParanormal.com. Today we welcome KTLK's Darkness Radio and Midnight in the Desert, renowned broadcaster and travel channel The Holzer Files investigative host Dave Schrader, and televised co-paranormal researcher and tech investigator Shane Pittman. Be sure to watch all new episodes of The Holzer Files every Thursday on Travel Channel, 10 p.m. Eastern. I want to thank Travel Channel for making today's interview possible, and everyone visit darknessradio.com, at darknessradio, at darknessradiodave, official Shane Pittman, at starring Shane, and everyone make sure to hashtag Holzerfiles and at Travel Channel to let everyone know how much you love the show. Thank you very much for having us. It's our pleasure, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. So to start off, Dave, it was great meeting you all those years ago at your event aboard the Queen Mary. It was so much fun, and yeah, it's great memories of, you know, how I started out in the paranormals, you know, meeting everyone at, at events. I know, that was only like eight months ago when you were like seven years old, right? <laughs> yeah, only like eight months ago. <laughs> I, I definitely matured a lot in those eight months. It's really bizarre, actually. Oh, stop it, Sophia. You're supposed to still just be a little girl. That's how I remember you. That's how you need to stay. <laughs> My kids are growing too fast. You're growing too fast. But it's great to see that you're still living your passion and, and doing the show. So congratulations on eight years. Well, thank you. And congratulations to you both on The Holzer Files. I watched it. It's an amazing show. And, you know, it's really amazing that you're able to, you know, kind of bring the paranormal full circle with bringing the pioneers of the paranormal to, you know, the forefront of everything that's happening on TV and social media with, you know, new investigators and just new investigations. Well, we've, we've both been really lucky to be uh, uh, put into this program. Uh, you know, having so much respect for Hans Holzer and the work that he mm-hmm. did in, you know, kind of kicking down doors and, and uh, opening this field up to the general public. Over 140 books on all different subjects of the paranormal. He's appeared on television. He's appeared on radio. As a matter of fact, our radio show, Darkness Radio, was the last one to interview uh, Hans Holzer before oh, wow. passing. And, uh, yeah, I've been good friends with Alexandra ever since. And it's it's been a great journey, and, and again, coming full circle, now here we are getting to represent the legendary paranormal investigator himself on the brand new Travel Channel TV series. It airs every Thursday, and uh, it's 10 p.m. Pacific, and that's 10 p.m. Eastern. I know they run them in two different uh, time zones. I think that's 9 p.m. Uh, Central and 9 p.m. Mountain Time as well for people that are interested in tuning in. Yeah, it's really amazing, you know, to just, see the past of the paranormal really just come to light because so many people don't realize um all the people who really started out in the field i mean you have hans holzer you have peter james the warrens there's so many people that you know aren't necessarily recognized the way they should be so it's just great to see that and how did you both actually initially you know kind of come together to work on the holzer files well, they were they were reaching out trying to find uh, some people to fill important roles on the program. And although mm-hmm. Shane, Cindy, and I never physically worked together, we were all aware of one another and uh, you know been friends online for years. So 
it kind of made sense when they were putting this together. They just found people that knew each other, were comfortable with each other, and I was lucky enough to be asked to be the uh, lead investigator on the program. Um, and then, you know, Cindy Keza being such a talented and, and uh, well-versed medium and psychic, she was a shoe-in for this. And then, of course, the, the third slot that was filled on the program was our tech. We wanted somebody that knew his stuff, could, could set up, do what he needed to do, get the technology in place, come up with some great experiments, and, uh, and, and be easy to work with. And Shane Pittman fit every one of those bills to a T. And it's, it's just been a pleasure working with all the cast and crew, Alexandra Holzer, Gabe Roth, our researcher, and uh, Alexandra, or I'm sorry, and Cindy and, and Shane. It's just been a lot of fun. So that's kind of how they brought us all together. And then you know, stuck us out in the field together to start working and, and uh, doing these investigations. You know, it, it, it's been well, it's been great, too. Be- sorry. Sorry, Sophia. Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's been great because, like Dave said, even though we didn't physically work with each other, whenever we got together, it was such a good fit. I mean, we mm-hmm. clicked with each other and, you know, just – the investigations, everything that we did was it's smooth. So, I mean, it's been an honor to be a part of this, and I'm just thankful and and uh, proud of the work that we've done so far. So. I was just going to say, you know, Shane, I feel like you should also add Spider Conqueror to that list. Um, I couldn't believe seeing all the spiders. Did you realize they were in the room with you when you were filming um, the last episode of The Holzer Files? Absolutely not. See, a lot of people, whenever they're watching uh, the show, it's, you know, a lot of the times, especially um, when we're investigating, we're in, in the dark. So the cameras are picking up, you know, it's IR light. So it's reflecting off of these mm-hmm. spiders. We had no clue that they were around us at all. So, yeah, that was surprising to me watching it whenever we were doing the live tweeting and all of that just watching it i had no clue how many spiders there were around us so and we we don't we don't get to see the episodes in advance sophia so when we're live tweeting and you guys are watching it we're seeing the same thing so what's really kind of fascinating for us is we weren't even aware of the spiders until then but it was uncanny how they would start to make themselves known they'd like drop down or spring back up as paranormal activity was starting to ramp up in the house right and right. that that was really kind of a freaky moment to realize oh yeah we're not alone even the spiders are sensing the weird energy that's going on in the home as we were uh, preparing for the the investigation and, and going through it and i've, I've got to say real quickly if anybody had a chance to watch this last episode at uh the morris jumel <laughs> mansion in new york it is an astounding place this place is has one of the most well-known and well-publicized public hauntings in history. In, I think it was 1963-64, there was a group of students standing outside of the Morse Jumel Mansion preparing for a field trip, along with some of their teachers and some other adults, as kids are meant to be. You know, they were out there chit-chatting and laughing and making noise and Suddenly, the doors on the upper floor opened, and a woman came out on the veranda and hushed everybody and told them to be quiet and then returned to the house. A few minutes later, the docent who runs the museum and tours showed up to mm-hmm. let them in, and the teachers apologized for all the racket and didn't mean to um, bother the employee inside. 
to which Adosin said, there, there is no employee. I'm the first one here. And they said, no, no, the woman that was dressed, I'm, I'm sure it's one of our tour guides, she was dressed in the period outfit. And again, the Dosen said, no, there's nobody here. I'm the very first one. And that was pretty remarkable because it wasn't something that just one person saw or somebody saw a fleeting image out of the corner of their eye. This, this activity took place in front of a large gathering, and that's what drew the attention of Hans Holzer to this site because it was so insanely active and uh, had so much just bizarre things that were going on inside of it that were being witnessed by employees and guests alike. And, you know, joking around with, with Shane about the spiders and, you know, I've, I've watched social media pick on my buddy here because he was jumpy. What they don't show, we film five days, 12 to 13 hours a day at these locations. Oh, wow. And they have to pare it down, Sophia, to 20, or 42 minutes mm-hmm. of TV content. So they couldn't possibly fit in all of the weird stuff we had happen. And that night, there was, we heard physical screams. We heard footsteps in the attic running. We heard people walking around us in, when we were in lit rooms. It was just weird, bizarre, uh, very strange activity taking place. And then, after all of this heightened activity, I stick poor Shane down by himself in the pitch black basement. And people forget because they can see everything on night vision camera. They, they forget when you're alone in a pitch black spot and you're seeing things, you know, in, in pitch black, it's, it's black, but they've got those tones of gray. So he could actually see something moving around him and could hear footsteps and something banged on the bench. And that's what sent Shane Bolting. And he is exactly what I would have done and everybody who's claiming to be a big, bad ghost hunter would have done. If you're alone in a basement by yourself, you've been hearing screams, footsteps, and pounds all night, and then you're in the room by yourself and you hear it, he's, he reacted very human, and uh, it, I think it was fantastic because he, he had a very natural reaction to what was going on. And I love that aspect of, of doing the show, and that's why we will continue the hashtag poor Shane moments where we send Shane into the darkest, <laughs> deepest, creepiest places in these locations to get these moments because uh, I'm just too fat and old to try to launch myself over benches and run out of a room. I'd end up breaking my neck and probably kill somebody in the, uh, in the interim. Well, here's the thing. I would probably also break my neck doing that. Right. It's unnerving. <laughs> it's freaky. Well, and, and to add to that too, you know, it's certain people, you know, they're going to, they're going to say those things. And I completely understand where they're coming from because, you know, they're, they're saying, okay, these are, they're calling themselves professional paranormal investigators. Why are they running out of the room? And I, I understand their point of view completely, but at the same token, you got to think about something. Whenever we're there doing the investigations, I think it's very important to tap into that energy, so to speak. Actually, you know, the spirits that were there or, or that are said to be inhabiting there to kind of get on the level and, and to feel what they were feeling or to, you know, kind of open yourself up and kind of be empathetic to the situation. I think you get more <laughs> you get more activity and you get more evidence that way. So uh, while I know I understand where they're coming from, you know, I don't want to take away from that because I, I think the people that are watching too really will be able to see a lot of the evidence picking up because we are opening ourselves up and we're allowing them to 
to communicate whichever way it is. And sometimes that's, you know, banging on a bench or, or uh, you know, having us run out of the room. But, you know, a lot of the things that, that are being shown too, sometimes they don't show we do go back in there, which they have been doing a good job of that. So I'm thankful for that. But we do go back in there, and even though we initially, I, or I initially run out, <laughs> we go back in there. <laughs> we go back in there, and we finish the job. You see what I mean? It's it, it, it's not that we run out and leave. Yeah, and I, I think it's a little bit too like you know when you're a viewer, you're seeing everything in night vision, so you're able to see the whole surroundings. So you feel like it is much easier than in reality. Like you said, you're sitting in the pitch black and. I would think it's a little bit too like the viewers who watch Naked and Afraid and are like, oh, I can go do that. And then they do the 14-day challenge and they're gone in like two because they say once they get there, this is way harder than anyone would expect. Because, you know, when you're investigating, it's not just physically you're hearing things. I mean, it's also, you know, mentally you have to keep yourself in a state of mind to where you're not freaking yourself out you're trying to notice trying to everything, notice everything. Right. stay open but also not assume that everything that happens is paranormal so there's a lot more going on than just you know sitting in a room trying to capture something you're absolutely and we're doing right the naked and, we're doing the naked and afraid episode with shane in season three i think that'll be interesting <laughs> if you really if you if you really want to be scared then tune in for season three because <laughs> if we're doing that a lot of people are going to be afraid i also agreed with dame too when you were interviewing um one of the people who was at the house and the light started flickering and you go can you turn this off if you want us to leave and it shut off and you go well good enough for me i'm leaving i mean you know these are spirits too and you have to respect what they want because technically they live there even though they right. aren't physically around. And sometimes you find that right, they just want to communicate and out of respect. Now, again, they have to pare things down. We had had about a five-minute conversation back and forth with the lights blinking, and you saw the reaction of the guy from the museum, and we were looking. The light switch was right next to us, so nobody was sitting there flickering it. There was no games mm -hmm. being played with it. That's why he looks so surprised as we're looking up at that light and it's going off. That's why you see him turn. He was looking at the light switch thinking, who's messing with us? And then we were kind of blown away. But we actually had a little back and forth with the light. And then I, I realized that it, was, it seemed to be getting perturbed um, in responses. That's why I said, if you want us to leave, just go out. And boom, it went out and did not come back on. Shane had cameras all around set up. And we monitored it. That light never turned back on throughout the night. So that made it even yeah. more unbelievable yeah i mean they they really didn't want you there and you know they are people who've moved on and they have their own feelings you know they still feel like it's their house even though legally it's not anymore because so many years have gone on since they actually have passed on but they still feel like hey this is where i lived this may have been where i died and i don't feel like going anywhere else exactly this is well, and you know, when, when Hans Holzer first visited there 50-some years ago, he helped to move on the spirit of Mr. Jamel, but was unable to mm -hmm. convince Mr. 
I believe. But she loved this home. She was a businesswoman. She was sharp. She wanted to remain in her home, and there's just no getting her out of there. And that's that's great. Why make a, a ghost or a, a spirit feel unwelcome in their own place of residence? If they want to live there and exist, so be it. Now, we... You know, we did some mm-hmm. work with a, uh, a practitioner to come in. I don't want to give too much away for people that didn't see it, but we did some work with a practitioner to come in to help some of the darker spirits get out of there. And, you know, we in, we had set the intention so that the spirits that want to stay, stay. And we try to do that at every location to show respect for the spirits because some of them are just as happy remaining. And ushering them out, you know, is is kind of up to their decision. Hans Holzer would always try to help move them through. And that's our goal. If they want help and and we can, we will do what we can to see them through to the other side. But if it's something along the lines of, you know, a, a being that just wants to stay there and is firmly rooted, then, you know, we show respect for that as well. Yeah. And I, I think that also really sets the tone of the show too, is you playing the recordings that Dr. Hans Holzer played with, um, the psychic he would bring in and, you know, channel through. And it's very creepy to hear because, you know, she's actually picking up on what's there. But, I mean, fast forward 50 years and it's still the same case, even though some variables may have changed. So it really shows that over time, things don't change all that much, even though they do. And what was really fascinating to us, and and to the museum director was the direction that the show went. You know, we expected to go there and find the ghost mm-hmm. of Mrs. Jamel, Madame Jamel, and um, and maybe you know it was a hospital at one point during the uh, Revolutionary War. There were many bodies that were stored there, people that died on site. So we didn't know what we were going to come into contact with. And there is a soldier spirit. There's the maid spirit. And how about that? I mean. Cindy Kaza goes through and does a, a walkthrough investigation knowing nothing about this place or, or the history. She goes, I feel like there's a maid here, and she just, uh, she just seems to hang around, which is very weird wording since a maid hung herself from the upper levels. But she picked up on that uh, you know, almost immediately, which is why she's one of the best, and we love having her as a, a part of the team. But coming upon the fact that, that so many people have witnessed Santeria rituals, on the property. Some believe that it's to ward off any negative energy from inside the house. But what we found talking to the Santeria priests after the show is that really kind of making that connection with Mother mm-hmm. Earth, trees, the grass, the plants, the bushes, that's what the Santerian uh, practitioners go for. And what they're doing, Sophia, that I found so fascinating, they're not going there and unleashing holy hell or sending demons, but if they have things that are attached to them and they've got uh, sickness, sadness, depression, uh, spirits, things that mm-hmm. are draining them, they go there and do these rituals and leave them to the trees and the bushes and believing that nature will help these things clear them. and lo- So you've got all these practitioners going there and basically dumping their toxicity. And they're not doing it in a negative way, but in New York City, there's not a lot of places that you're going to find basically this standalone beautiful park with grass and flowers and, and trees and be right in an area that happens to be rich with Santeria practitioners so, and, and believers of, of that uh, uh, religion. So it, it makes sense. 
do I believe that they're going there to try to spook the place or, or bring out demons? No, I just think that they're there releasing the negativity of their own lives, and that's influencing and impacting the area. So not only do you have the rich history and all the deaths that took place there and the tragedies that befell that location, but then you've got all of these practitioners journeying there to resolve their own issues and leaving it behind like bad luggage and then moving on, and the, the, the spirits and energy are still there. And that was really profound for our entire team to, to uncover. And the, the directors of the museum and the, the docents and, and tour guides were really floored, you know, especially with the popularity of the play Hamilton. They thought for sure we were going to come in and try yeah. to get in contact with Hamilton or, Ray, or uh, not Raymond Burr, uh, Aaron Burr. Um, and, and that wasn't even on our radar. We went right to the story, which is what Hans Holzer would do, is dig through the mm-hmm. uh, preface of the story and find the meat. And we found the meat, which we believe was, you know, what was going on there just by the, the people practicing religious rituals in the area. And there's so much, you know, that I think a lot of people don't understand about, you know, Santeria or, you know, voodoo um, being a Wiccan. I mean, there's so much... I mean, you hear stories that make it surface, you know, just seem bad, but it's so much deeper than that. And I feel like, I mean, I don't fully understand any of that, but there's so much to it. And it really, you don't know the connection they have to the spirit world or the earth or anything. So it, it really is kind of like an onion where you unlayer one thing and there's something else below it that, you know, you discover. I mean, for that to be connected to... Hans Holzer's case now is really incredible because you wouldn't just think that that's what you would find when walking into that location. Because, you know, Shane was getting some great results in the basement. We were picking up on these um, these spirits and the energy of the location. So it was a natural to, uh, you know, do our best to try to help move them on. And, you know, one Definitely. thing I want to touch on, one thing I want to touch on again is how extremely blessed we are because the production company, mm-hmm. whenever we have these twists and turns in the case and we find out these additional details, they are completely open to anything that we want to try and what we want to do. Like when, whenever we brought the practitioner in, um, you know, in regards to what we found out with the Santeria, they were completely open and on board with anything we wanted to try. So, our, our production company and our crew and everybody has just been fantastic in helping us with these cases and making sure that we get full resolution um, across the board as much as possible. I think that's so important, too, when going on investigation is making sure you have, you know, a good group that you feel strong enough with that when walking into it, there's no cracks in your relationships. So it you're kind of stronger together than apart. And when you have the crew, the production company, and yourselves just really in line, I think it makes anything you do much easier. Absolutely. But I know we have to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with more questions. This is author Alexandra Holzer, and you're listening to ghost host Sophia Temporelli. Hi, this is Jeff Belanger, host of 30 Odd Minutes, founder of GhostVillage.com, and author of lots of your favorite paranormal books, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia, on LiveParanormal.com. Boo! 
Hey, this is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporilli, on LiveParanormal.com. The ghost host, Sophia Temporilli. Eight years of broadcasting on LiveParanormal.com. Congratulations, Sophia. Again, so much for coming on today. Thank well, you very much. My, not only am I Dave Schrader, but I'm Dave Schrader of Travel Channel's The Holzer Files, and you're listening to <laughs> Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. I feel left out. I wanted to throw myself it's into your mix of, of voiceovers <laughs> now. Well, I love it, you know. Uh, it's almost like we didn't leave break. Um, I know before break, though, we were talking a little bit about the last episode of The Holzer Files, but what initially started each of you in the field of the paranormal? Did you have an experience, or was it just hearing about pioneers like Hans Holzer? You go ahead, Shane. Well, I've had experiences ever since I was young, um, and on the same token, I've always loved the technology. Anything I had to have the latest piece of technology. I've, I've always been intrigued by that. So whenever I found out that, you know, mm-hmm. you could actually test, you could actually test the things that were going on around you, some of the things that you couldn't explain, I was 100% game for it. So it just started when I was young. I had a lot of crazy experiences that probably took a whole show or two to, to talk about them all. But that's pretty much what sparked it is things going on early on in my life to the point to where my passion kind of collided with that and wanted to learn as much as I could on the 
technology side of things. So that that's pretty much my experience. I started having experiences oh, as a ahead. child with my grand grandmother visiting me. Uh, after she passed away, I grew up in a haunted house in Medina, Illinois, and saw Bigfoot when I was about uh, 11 or 12 years old in Foley, Alabama. Saw UFOs in 2006 over Trout Lake, Washington, and numerous ghosts, shadow people, and strange phenomena during uh, the last 13 years here. So it's it's been a constant state of not me so much hunting the paranormal, but it seems like the paranormal has been hunting me my whole life. Oh, I feel the same way. I tell my mom that all the time. You know, she goes, you know, you chose your radio show and, you know, look at how far you've come with it. I didn't stick with anything when I was younger. So everyone was pretty shocked, you know, eight years later on the radio. And I, I tell her all the time, you know, I didn't choose this. The paranormal chose me. I lived in a haunted house too. And those experiences really shape you as you get older. You know, they stick with you. And I think that just wanting to find out more about the unknown just really drives you no matter what in this field. I agree completely. So Dave, I didn't know you had seen Bigfoot. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know my dad had his own experience with Bigfoot as well. So um, I'm very curious what happened to you. My grandparents uh, owned 40 acres in Foley, Alabama and about 10 acres were livable. The rest was just wild and woods. We had a pond that we used to go fishing in all the time, and it was part of the livable area. The back of the pond led into the uninhabitable thicket of woods and creepy snakes and alligators and I'm sure other horrific creatures back there. I'm not an outdoorsman. I'm an avid indoorsman, Sophia, so going outside is not a big thing for me, but we used to love to go fishing. I agree. And we would always... We would always hear things crunching around out there, and, you know, you never thought about it. We had cousins and uncles and grandfathers, and everybody's always out in the woods hunting or doing something. And one day my cousin and I got up, and we went down to, to fish, and we were fishing by the pond, and he was, I think he was like three years younger than me, and we kept hearing <laughs> in the woods, and it sounded like something huge walking towards the back of the pond. And the two of us kept side-eyeing each other, and mm -hmm. then we'd watch. And finally, you heard it stop, and there was all these tall bushes and things at the end of the, you know, surrounding the pond. And this hand came up over the top of one of the bushes, probably about seven, eight feet tall, and pushes the top down. Now, what was interesting to me is the hand oh, looked, wow. and the hair over the hand, like Chewbacca, the way his hair kind of comes over his hand. Mm -hmm. And it pushed it down, so all I could see was from about the top of the upper lip to the top of his head and it was very dark inset face i couldn't see eye color but i could see that his mane was very black and grayish um mm -hmm. heavily slanted towards graying and he just pushed down the top of that bush and stared at us and my cousin and i turned and looked at each other and then we slowly looked back at this thing then we looked back at each other and then like scooby-doo our legs just started spinning in air and poof, we were up the uh, up to the house half expecting to find out it was one of our, our dumb relatives trying to scare us, but everybody was home. And we were so unnerved by it, my dad, his dad, and our grandfather grabbed their shotguns and went out there thinking maybe there's an intruder or some homeless people living out in the woods and they had to get them off the property. And they couldn't find anything. 
But there were plenty of times that you could hear things at night. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'd had this beautiful screened-in porch. You'd sit there at night and talk, and you'd hear stuff walking around outside. So, I, you know, can I say 100% it was a Bigfoot? No. Can I say it was huge and pushed down the top mm-hmm. of a bush and looked like a giant bipedal hairy creature? Yes. It was definitely not a bear. I, was it a human with insanely big, long hair? It was the 70s. There is that possibility. But it had a very dark, inset face mm-hmm. and a giant, furry hand. So I've still yet to meet any humans that look like that. Um, and I've been on Match.com, so I should have by now. <laughs> I, that's incredible that, you know, you experienced that with your family, too, because that's really validation when you experience something like that. Um, I couldn't, I think that's an appropriate response to run away uh, like that because you don't know what it is and I don't think you want to get close enough to see if it's friendly or not. Oh no, and especially at my age, you know, we were 9 and 12, you know, 8 and eight and 11 or 9 and 12, so there was nothing the two of us could do, so it was just a, Sonics, let's get out of here, <laughs> kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And um, Shane, I know you were saying that you had experiences when you were younger that would feel, fill a couple episodes, but can you tell us, you know, kind of what your earliest experience was that, you know, really kind of let you know that there was another side to life? Uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, see, let me back up a little bit. I grew up in a religious household. So I was told, mm-hmm. you know, uh, spirits or ghosts were demons and things like that. I was just brought up that way. And when I was 12 years old, I spent the night at a friend's house. And he said, hey, I've got this Ouija board. Do you want to check it out? And I've always been told, do not mess with that. Mm-hmm. It's evil. But me being the rebellious kid I was, I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. So we uh, sit down with the Ouija board. Nothing happens. So the next night I go home, and I'm in my bed, and I'm probably laying in there probably 10 minutes or so, and my closet door in my room was cracked open. Why, I don't know, but it was cracked open. And within about 10 minutes or so, the closet door slams. And I get up initially, and I'm thinking I had had siblings. I was thinking they were playing a trick on me or something. So I get up and open the closet door, and nobody's in there. Now we had the car. There was no draft mm-hmm. or anything. There was we had we had higher carpet. So you know, uh, if if you've seen doors before, you know the carpet where it's scraping the bottom of um, yeah. the door, scraping the top of the carpet. Yeah. So it was very hard for it to close on its own. So I opened it, nothing was there. I went back and laid back down. And probably about five minutes, it slams again. This time I jump up and I run to my parents' room, and they come in there and they open the door, and they're like, look, nothing's going on. Uh, They, you know, prayed over me, did all that stuff. I was still kind of freaked out. Um... They went back to bed. <laughs> Probably 30 minutes or so goes goes by. They 
for some odd reason, left the closet door open again. I don't know why they did that, but they did. And it slams mm-hmm. again, and this time they run into my room um, wondering what's going on. And that night I slept in my parents' room because I was so freaked out. <laughs> and from there, that was one defining moment of mine. Then I had some more um, in my teens and in my 20s and stuff like that. But that was a defining moment to where I knew that something that I could not see was out there and something I couldn't explain. And from there, just the passion grew to learn more about it and and to see what more was out there. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, and you know. You had something happen and you ran to your parents' room their response is to come back and leave the closet open, which explains so much to me, Shane. They wanted the monster to eat you. Yeah, well, why is everybody – look, at first it's my parents, and then, Dave, you're wanting to send me to every dark room there is and every place we go. I mean, what? why are y'all out to get me? I don't understand that. Poor, poor Shane has PPTSD, paranormal post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> it's been happening since childhood. <laughs> That now we're going to start the new T-shirt campaign. Hashtag poor Shane. That's right. See, so whenever y'all see me running out like on, on these shows, just cut me some slack. It started from an early age. <laughs> I will be more. You know, I'd be Shane, more tender I... with you. I'll be more tender with you going forward, <laughs> Shane, and, and cradle you lovingly in my arms and feed you Oreo cookies. I appreciate that, Dave. I totally get where you're coming from, Shane. You know, I lived in a haunted house, and I told my parents, you know, there's something in my room. Something is, like, before we even knew it was a ghost, I just knew something was watching me. And I'd say, I can't sleep in there. And my dad goes, no, you sleep in there. And he would just leave me. And uh, it, it got to the point where he would just close their bedroom door, and he'd just leave me, like, in the hall. So, yeah, you know, the, the parent thing with the ghosts isn't, Wait, that he left you in a hole? He left you yeah, in a hole? Did like he my, lower my down hole. a bucket with lotion? What do you mean he left you in a hole? Well, not a hole. Like, the hall, like a hallway. <laughs> oh, the hall. Okay, the hall. I thought you said a hole. Yeah, yeah. I thought because I, I, thought I, I was going to have to call CFS now. No, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He would just leave me in the hallway, and I'm just like, I'm not going in there. You know, the the ghost was in the closet in my parents' room, but, yeah, he also would probably come through my closet, too. So that was fun times. And, yeah, the the traumatic uh, parent scars with the ghosts, those always leave the worst imprint. Oh, That's yeah. what Nanny 911 said to do. <laughs> <laughs> Nanny 911 didn't deal with ghosts. <laughs> leave them crying in the oh, hall. I told that your story and you're sticking by it? Yes, it is his story. He sticks by it very frequently. Um, but, you know, going from your childhood experiences to now the Holzer Files, there's so many cases that Dr. Hans Holzer did. Do you have a favorite that you've worked on with the show or something that, you know, you would like to work on in the future as a case of his for each of you? I think, probably speaking for both of us, the the... Royal flush would be getting into the Amityville house, but you know, we know impossible that probably is they've thrown millions of dollars at the owners of the house of the Amityville uh, residents to try to get access and it's always denied, but never say never. 
You know, I mean, with the charming Shane Pittman and, and beautiful Cindy Keza and the elderly, doddering old Dave Schrader, maybe they'll show some mercy and let us in. Uh, but, you know, I would like to say I have a favorite this season. It's, it's very hard to say because each place had such a, a unique story. And I had unique experiences. Now, listen, the last two episodes, Shane has been under the gun. When you guys see what happens on the Whaley House episode this coming Thursday, you will see that even good old Darkness Dave uh, has to get the hell out of a haunted location once in a while. And it, I, I had a profound experience that altered me. After 13 years of investigating, I've never had anything like it happen and pray that I never have anything like it happen again. But it was it was violent. It was uh, uh, freaky. And not only did it affect me, unfortunately, it, it affected poor Shane. Hashtag poor Shane. I guess it still fits in this matter. Uh, when you see the episode, you understand why. Uh, all I say is he takes the full brunt force of me and a wall at one point during this investigation. And um, But the story was amazing to uncover. And... I give mm-hmm. a lot of credit to you know to our research team and and Gabe Roth and Alexander Holzer for giving us such amazing insights and um, history that we're able to access and dig up because it really helps to shed light on this and then it allows when I go in as the investigator uh, to talk kind of the, the paranormal detective to talk with these experiencers and historians I have a good starting point to peel back these layers of time and uncover some of the truths and some of the, the bizarre situations. And, you know, when we were first told we were going to do the Whaley house, my thought was, well, what the hell is there left to tell about the Whaley house? It's been on every show mm-hmm. and every book and every magazine. But like Hans Holzer says, there's never truly an end to the story. And he was right. We uncovered things and got a chance to see handwritten letters that the Whaley's exchanged talking about the ghost. So they were aware of the ghost when they lived there. And people have always assumed it was ghosts after their deaths that haunted the house. Little little did we know that it was the ghosts that were there before they uh, had passed away. And there was such tragedy and heartache in their family as well. So we uncover a lot. And for the first time in history, we find the darkness that's been in that house for over a hundred years and we pull it out into the light. And I will tell you this, Sophia, it does not like it uh, at all. So that mm-hmm. will be a part of the Whaley house. So even though it was, it was uh, really kind of frightening and, and life altering, it's a favorite. Uh, the devil in Texas episode was a favorite of mine because of the, and that'll run on October 24th. But I love that mm-hmm. one because we were able to take a case of Hans Holzer's, that was 50 years old and find a case today that's active that mirrored very closely that original case. And we were able to step in and hopefully bring some peace to a family very much in need. And, uh, you know, but the, the ocean born Mary house, the, the peck house in, in Rye, the gosh, Morris Jumel mansion. I mean, Sophia, we were in the house where George Washington led the war room during the war at one point. We were in the house where both uh, uh, mm-hmm. Hamilton and Burr were there. You know, Aaron Burr lived in that house. I think he even died while living in that house. So there's so much history steeped in these locations. It's like lining up my kids and asking me to pick out which one is my favorite. Each one has amazing qualities to them that make them, uh, you know, 
endeared to my heart. But uh, I don't know, Shane, what's, what's your favorite place that we got a chance to see? My favorite place, I would have to say, well, one of them was uh, the Morris Jamel Mansion, of course. Uh, the mm-hmm. Whaley House, and the reason why I say the one, you know, the next episode coming up next week on Thursday, uh, the Whaley House was impactful for me because, Dave, like you said, I mean, something happened to you that I have never seen and that the audience has never seen happen to you. Uh, it happens next week. I mean, and, and anybody listening right now, you've got to check it out. It's something that you do not want to miss. It impacted all of us. That case really impacted all of us and, and showed us, you know, that there's <laughs> whenever you're dealing with certain cases like this, some, you've got you to gotta stay on guard because Things can blindside you, and uh, it definitely happened to you, Dave. And I, w- I was, for a moment, they're very concerned, and people just need to have to, they have to check it out because I think Whaley House is one of my favorites just because of the um, the lengths that the spirit went to to make themselves known. And hey, in well, his defense, I'll definitely be watching. Serious thing happened there, and Shane stayed. I was the one that left. So, see, all things are cyclical. Well, I stayed because yeah. I couldn't move. Technicality, <laughs> 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 Shane, you were still I know, there. That's good. You, that's you were on right. your feet. That's the important part. I know we're coming towards the end of the show, but I want to thank you both so much for coming on today. And hey, if hashtag poor Shane gets big enough, maybe they will just let you into the MU house just because they feel bad enough so that's always a plus side but i want to thank you again for coming on today it's been great talking to both of you and i can't wait to see the next week's episode thank you thank very you much, so much sophia and here's to the next eight years well, for you, you. congratulations yeah congratulations thank you so great much job. congratulations on the show guys thank you thank you thank you Dave and Shane were such great guests. I want to thank you all for listening. The show definitely would not be possible without all of you. And I will talk to you guys again next week with Dakota Layton. Bye. Not only am I Dave Schrader, but I'm Dave Schrader of Travel Channel's The Holzer Files. And you're listening to <laughs> Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. I feel left out. I wanted to throw myself into your mix of, of voiceovers now. <laughs> Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.